Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second edition of the Renaissance of Men podcast, Ask Me Anything series. I've got a new interview coming out this week with Coach Anthony Deal, so be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, I wanted to continue this Ask Me Anything series, which is available to members of my online men's group, The Council. And you can find out more about The Council by going to renofmen.com slash council, and you can sign up there. The group's growing. I'm really happy with the men who are joining from across the country. Some of the benefits of the group include the ability to send me questions as part of this Ask Me Anything, a regular Bible study series, plus the ability to listen as I record my podcasts live using Riverside FM's audience feature. Once again, you can go to rentofmen.com slash council to find out more, and let's jump right into the question. So the question this week is, how do we best help our fathers and grandfathers heal their wounds and their masculinity, generally referring to Gen X and boomer generations? Now, this is a really great question, and it's one that I've had to grapple with. I've had clients from my mentorship program who are in those generations who are a little bit on the older side, one man who was actually in his 70s, which meant that he was part of the boomer generation. And of course, I've had to reflect on it for my own life path. Now, I'm part of late generation X. I'm just starting to approach the beginning of the millennials. My sister, for example, is a millennial. And so I can kind of relate to a little bit of both. And of course, as a Gen Xer, my dad is a boomer. And so I've had to have many of these conversations with him. And the first and most important thing to understand is men of previous generations, Generation X and boomers and before, they don't think about masculinity in quite the same way we do, because it wasn't necessarily obvious to them for most of their lives that anything was wrong. There was a big shift that happened in America in the late 1970s and early 1980s as we went from being a producer economy with manufacturing to a consumer economy where we sent many of our jobs overseas. Now, this is a giant topic to get into, but you can see in a lot of the way that people think about the 1980s that it was very consumer-centric, and there were many movies that came out of the time that documented the decline of American manufacturing. And if you want to see some of this in action, you can actually go to YouTube, and you can search for 1980s commercials, and you'll find enormous YouTube videos that are just back-to-back-to-back 1980s commercials. Now, I found these a while ago, and many of these commercials were ones that I remember growing up and watching. I watched one of these videos, and I got about 10 minutes into it, And once I got past all the nostalgia, I was like, hang on a second. There's something a little strange about this. And what I realized was troubling me was that it was hyper-consumerism. It was consumerism turned up to the max. Like, you can't even believe. And when you watch these videos, you'll see it. And so that got me asking questions about what America was like and what people like about the 1980s and why it keeps coming up as this decade that people consider so appealing and why it's so popular And the reality is that America was riding high on its consumerist rush, consuming, 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 sending manufacturing overseas to China, India, Pakistan, and all these other places. So that shift from being a producer economy to a consumer economy happened between the 1970s and into the 1980s, from Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan. Now, I can take this much more apart, but just go with me here. But the thing is, many of the boomers who came of age and started having kids in the 70s and in the 80s, they weren't necessarily aware this shift was happening. In fact, to them, it came across as a good thing. Suddenly, we can afford all these new consumer goods on a one-income household. And so everything seemed peachy keen. This is everything that they were raised to believe in, everything that they were raised to want, everything they were raised 
to aspire to, to have a better standard of life than their parents. They had achieved that in the 1980s. So they weren't necessarily paying attention to the downstream costs of all of this consumerism. And as you see, things get into the 1990s, things begin to degrade a little bit as the consumerism kind of begins taking hold. And then there was a really big shift in the 2000s and 20 years of men coming of age, not knowing their role in this new consumer-centric economy. They do knowledge work, and men doing knowledge work are isolated from the value of what they produce. So think of it this way. When you add value to a spreadsheet or you do a little modification to a design or send an email, yes, you may advance your project a little further down the line, and then something may launch out into the general public, and it may make a lot of money, but you don't see the immediate impact of that money. Maybe in a corporate environment, it comes back into your stock price, into your 401k or whatever, but you don't actually see the results of what your company hunted and killed. This is a very different mindset than the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur needs to every day go hunt and kill to eat. And this is very primal in us as men. Now, what does all this have to do with boomers and Generation X? The boomers thought this shift from a production mindset to a consumer mindset meant prosperity. It meant goods. It meant things to buy and ways to enjoy ourselves, all these different pleasures. But they didn't realize at the time that it was numbing them from a direct encounter of reality. They were old enough to remember when things were hard. And Gen X has a little bit of this. But later generations, millennials and Generation Z, everything is so comfortable and it's very numbing. And so men, when they're deprived from struggle, from effort, from challenge, they decline in masculinity. And so that's the case that many men in the millennial and Generation Z generations are kind of feeling right now. So there's this middle generation like Generation X, which was kind of the last generation to have any struggle. And there's a whole discussion going on on Twitter about this right now, this sort of forgotten generation of men who kind of remember what life was like before the internet, when things were actually kind of hard, when you actually had to pick up a telephone and call somebody, or when you had pagers, or when you didn't have all the information available at a moment's notice, or when everything wasn't so convenient. Boomers still remember that very well. It's only their children that have become very numb with this hyper-consumerist kind of culture that everyone's living in. And I can even trace this to this new trend of like pinky doll on TikTok. Like that sort of phenomenon can only exist in an environment full of people that are absolutely locked into their phones. That can only exist in this hyper-pseudo-reality kind of way of being. It would never exist in a previous era where men worked with their hands when they had to labor and sweat to produce anything. And so what you're looking at with this generational divide, when you go from boomers to Gen X to millennials to Generation Z, are the effects of society becoming more and more comfortable? And as my friend Alex Svetsky talked about on the podcast that he and I did together last year, testosterone is an on-demand hormone, meaning your body produces it in response to stimuli. I really liked that insight because when we lead comfortable lives, sitting in comfortable chairs in air-conditioned environments and never subject ourselves to struggle, our body wonders as men, why should I produce testosterone? So you see, again, from boomers to Generation X to millennials to Generation Z, society becoming more comfortable, more convenient, less testosterone is needed. Now, from the boomers' perspective, this was everything that they were working for. 
They were working to get away from this difficult, challenging way of living and create something that was more comfortable. Now, that desire in and of itself is not necessarily bad. However, when you make things too comfortable, you lose the ability as men to have direct contact with reality and forget what it is to feel yourself as a man. Working for a giant corporation, sitting at a desk, underneath fluorescent lights, a hundred floors up or whatever, and working on a spreadsheet is not the same thing as starting a gardening business, starting a pool cleaning business, opening a small business, and making sure that you have to confront someone every day and make sure that they buy something or your family doesn't eat. And you can feel the sense of, wow, I better have my testosterone up as a man so that I can be confident and well put together so that I can convince this person to buy this thing that I worked really hard on so that I can feed my family. Versus I get up, I sit on the car, or I ride on the train, and then I walk into the cubicle, and I spend the day there. Can you feel the difference of what that might create in your body? It's the difference between a life of struggle and a life of challenge and a life of difficulty versus a life of ease and convenience. Now, as you go back to the boomer generation, they wanted a life of ease and convenience. A life of ease and convenience was the goal, and they achieved it. And so on our end, when we achieve that life of ease and convenience that comes with a very high sociopolitical cost, that's the part that isn't talked about. That's what the whole vaccine is. The vaccine is the new price to participate in this easy society. You don't want to pay that price? Well, get shuttled towards the exit. So the boomers in many cases said like, oh, this is the price I have to pay to be part of this easy society? Sign me up. Meanwhile, many Gen X and millennials and Generation Z were like, wait, why would I take that into my body to participate in a society that's going off the rails? And so you can get a sense of like, maybe the boomers aren't necessarily aware that there was kind of a pact that was made to create this easy society that those of us on the tail end of it are looking at over the next, say, 60 or 80 years of our lives in some cases, like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. So what does all this have to do with healing the wounds of masculinity for earlier generations? They don't perceive that there is a problem with masculinity. They don't see it. There's no reason for them to see it. Because when they were young, in the 60s and in the 70s, before they had kids, they had enough struggle in their lives and enough prosperity to get the best of both worlds. You can go back and you can look at the Instagram account, Your Dad's America. Now, for those of you with more conservative eyes, there are a lot of bikini photos there. That's not why I'm sending you there. I want you to go and look at that account and see how different life was back then. You see people taking risks. You see guys in their 20s with massive mustaches and big hair. And you see generally a more robust society. Your Dad's America was what America looked like when your boomer father was still a young man. There was just enough challenge and just enough pleasure for him to get to experience the best of both worlds. By the time he had become a father and had you, life had gotten too easy. The challenge drained out of society and it's continuing to drain out of society and it's being replaced with meaningless pleasure. So when you try to explain to a boomer or potentially a Gen X father that I'm having a crisis of masculinity and meaning, it's not necessarily something that he can relate to. It's not an experience that he can have. Also, it will require him to look at this and say, yes, not everything that I fought to build turned out to be a good thing. And that's very, very hard for anybody to recognize that the thing that they poured their life into became kind of a Frankenstein's monster. And that's the reality that many of us are living in today. We're living in this Frankenstein monster society that's swallowing up more of our civil liberties, 
more of our income, more of our savings through inflation. Elections are no longer free and fair. Transgenderism, LGBTQ. We live in a Frankenstein version of the society that boomers tried to build. I'd also like to add one thing. There were big shifts that happened in American healthcare as well during that time that led to a more safety-centric society. Lawsuits, increasing healthcare costs, so that a broken leg or an injury, God forbid, meant that a medical bill could ruin the family. And so a lot of boys who would have naturally been out there in the world exploring and potentially getting hurt were kept inside and became inside boys because the possibility of a devastating medical bill was too high. Also, when you have a culture that becomes very litigious, when people start suing for everyday minor things, which is why you see so many safety warnings everywhere, the cultural incentive is to keep everyone much safer, which again prevents the increase of testosterone in boys who need it. So safety culture, to continue enjoying these pleasures, also played a role. And I guarantee you there are men and women listening right now that are victims of safety culture that never got to explore the world or explore life because their parents were too concerned for their safety as a result of potential lawsuits or medical bills. And you can see this on Instagram where you see videos of lots of fathers posting videos of their young sons climbing trees, playing outdoors. This is pushing back against the same numbing, insulating safety culture that has been prevalent in America. Now, hopefully you're tracking with everything I'm saying. There are a lot of themes that have interwoven that have led us to this collective moment as men. But to answer the question, how do you help men of previous generations heal their wounds of masculinity? You have to recognize they don't necessarily think that they have them because the same experiences that you want to have right now as a young man that are driving you forward into life, your parents had them. They had them before they were difficult to get. They had them as part of everyday experience. What they don't necessarily recognize is that what they were pouring their life energy to was going to deprive their kids of the things that they took for granted. They built this prosperous, safe society, which I will give them the benefit of the doubt. They did for good reasons, and they never stopped to consider, can a society be too prosperous? Can it be too safe? Is there some value in hardship? And if you listen to Matt Reynolds, my podcast with him, he talks about the necessity of voluntary hardship. Just take a minute to consider how insane that idea is. If you were to turn back the clock 50 years or 100 years and tell the men back then, hey, buddy, you have to engage in voluntary hardship, that guy would have laughed in your face because every day was involuntary hardship. Now we've made life so comfortable that we actually have to submit ourselves to voluntary hardship to experience any difficulty at all. Boomers were the last generation to experience involuntary hardship as part of everyday life and they wanted to spare their kids that. So I give them credit for that. Now, the problem is when you try and explain to them that not everything they did has turned out for the good, they have a hard time hearing that because everything worked for them, everything has been working for them, everything continues to work for them, so it's difficult for them to see or understand that things are not working for their kids, which are us. I think this singular issue is at the heart of the boomer-millennial divide. I think that's why boomers think millennials are entitled and millennials think boomers are entitled. I think this misunderstanding of what took place between the generations is the cause of so much pain. And what would I propose for how to resolve it? I think the first thing is to express gratitude to your parents for what they helped to create, but also indicate for them that, hey guys, maybe things aren't working out the way that you intended them to. And I think that there are some boomers that are waking up to that. I've heard them called bloomers. I think COVID was probably a big wake-up call for many of them, 
but this is a much longer conversation about how to facilitate that mutual understanding. Because yes, I believe that boomers can be entitled. And yes, I believe that millennials can be entitled. And I get to say that because I'm Generation X and I've got to sit between the two of you. So there. Now, I want to come at this question from a different direction because the actual framing of the question is, how do we help our fathers and grandfathers heal their wounds and their masculinity? So there's also the potential implication from the question that there are wounds to be healed. And there's lots of ways to come at this one as well. And for that, I recommend the best place to start is in what's called the mythopoetic men's movement. This is what started the renaissance of men way back in the 1980s and the 90s. The men of that era were dealing with a particular set of questions regarding this feeling that I don't exactly know what I'm for. They had created a society of peace and prosperity, but it also felt a little alienating. So Robert Bly in the 1980s did this tour around the country where he introduced men to the meaning of what it means to be a man through myths and songs and poetry. That was what started the renaissance of men. And if you watch my short video, What is the Renaissance? available on YouTube, and which I'll have linked in the show notes, you can see footage of the actual video that started it all, which was called A Gathering of Men. This VHS tape shipped through the mail, and I recognize some of you probably don't even know what VHS is, but this tape shipped through the mail was the actual beginning of the Renaissance of Men. Robert Bly also wrote a book called Iron John. There was a book that came out around the same time called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And so if you're looking for a way to introduce to your boomer father how to heal the wounds of masculinity, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge or Iron John by Robert Bly are probably the best place to start. I wouldn't start with Jordan Peterson. I wouldn't start with Andrew Tate. I wouldn't start with Michael Foster. I would start with those two books that speak to a specific set of challenges that men of that era faced. And they have the added bonus of being truly excellent books. If you haven't read Iron John, I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful book. And for many Christian men, you've probably heard of Wild at Heart. That's another beautiful book. And you could do much worse than reading those two books. You can also pick up the book King, Warrior, Magician, Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. I had Douglas Gillette on my podcast not too long ago. I'll put that in the show notes as well. This is what was going on in the 1980s and the 1990s with the attempt to revive masculinity. Again, the men weren't suffering. They just felt that there was more to life than being providers. They couldn't articulate it quite yet, but that's what Robert Bly, Douglas Gillette, and John Eldridge were trying to provide. Because if you rewind the clock just a little bit and you think about 1980, 1990, the boomer men at the time were just heading into their 40s. They were just approaching middle age. All the fires of youth were kind of going out and they were trying to figure out what is my life for? What is life really about? And with the decline of Christianity in America that was going on at the time, a lot of these authors came in to try and answer those questions from a non-Christian perspective. That was Iron John by Robert Bly. Of course, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge is a Christian book. There was another group called The Promise Keepers. That's a whole other conversation. But the best way to reach your boomer father and try and instruct him in how to heal his wounds of masculinity is to give him the books that were written around that time. Now, if you don't know how to start that conversation, I can't honestly tell you there's going to be an easy way to do that. In my observation, what has to happen first is there has to be a crisis. Because life is so comfortable, why start asking the deep questions of life unless and until you have a serious health crisis or unless you have a crisis in your marriage or until your friends begin to die? And this is unfortunately part of life for being human. There is some percentage of men and women, for that matter too, 
that are motivated to grow and to change as part of some internal motivation they have within themselves, that's maybe 5 to 10% of people. The larger mass of humanity, both men and women, will only change when they are forced to by external circumstances. So unless your father is approaching you, asking you questions about this, I wouldn't necessarily just hand him a copy of Iron John or hand him a copy of Wild at Heart and expect for it to land. You would ideally want to wait for a point where he's asking these questions on his own and then be able to provide those resources in a loving way. Give it to him as a gift. In fact, buy your own copy, read it, and when he's ready to have the conversation with you, give him that as a gift. I think that could be a really powerful moment between the generations where he can see the things that you've been working on and come to understand, and maybe you can bless his life with some of the things that you've learned. I think this is a healthy process. I think this is a natural process, and I think it comes about in its own time. And one other piece of advice that I really want to offer, and someone actually gave me this advice many years ago when I was speaking to them, telling them that I wanted to be a counselor, I wanted to be a therapist, stuff like that, and that I would have insight into people's lives that I often wanted to pass on. This person, and I'll never forget, gave me a vital piece of advice. He said, be sure to check your permissions. What he meant by that is, even if you have a sincere insight into someone's life that you think would bless them, always make sure that you have their permission to tell them that insight. Don't just assume that because you have it, that you can give it to them, because in that case, it might not be received, your understanding might be totally wrong, you don't have permission to speak into their life, and chances are that person, no matter how close you are with them, might reject it and even be offended. So as we're talking about this question of how to help the earlier generations heal their wounds of masculinity, you always want to make sure to explicitly check your permissions to say, do I have your permission to give you some insight? Do I have your permission to speak this? Do you mind if I share this with you? Make sure that you have their permission first. Don't just go and say, hey, dad, I think you've been having problems with masculinity here. Read Iron John by Robert Bly. That's probably not what you want to do. But there are so many people that do things like that, that think that they have some unique insight and then they have the ability to simply speak into someone's life without being given permission. And that's a real good way to ruin relationships. So what you may perceive as your father or your grandfather struggling with the question of masculinity, don't necessarily assume that that's the case. Make yourself available to have this conversation. Say how you've grown, the things that you've learned. Wait for him to ask and then make sure that you have permission. And when you follow those steps, you can actually have a beautiful bonding relationship versus just assuming that you have the answer to all of your dad's problems or that you have the answer to anyone's problems. This was such a hugely valuable piece of advice for me, and I've followed it, and it's never led me wrong. There's never any harm to asking permission, especially if you do it in the right way. So when you're thinking about other people's wounds, other people's challenges, other people's struggles, don't necessarily assume that you have the right to provide a solution to that always make sure that you have permission, particularly with family members, particularly with your father, especially if you're a man. Because what I don't want you to do is to assume that you have all the answers and go and present as if you have all the answers because younger people generally don't have all the answers. And I'm pretty sure that one of the Ten Commandments says, honor thy mother and father. And posturing as if you have all the answers for your father's life is not the way to do that. But creating a conversation of equals between men and making sure you can meet on that level is the way to do that. So again, the things to take away from this is that the boomers did everything that they were told to do, and they did a really good job at it. 
they didn't stop to consider the consequences of how well that they were doing things, and they've been resistant to questioning whether everything worked out the way that they hoped. But one way or another, please give them the benefit of the doubt that they were doing the best they could with the information that they had at the time. Things have gone off the rails. We live in Frankenstein society now, but I can guarantee you that your dad or your grandfather did not want to build Frankenstein society. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to recognize that there were unique challenges that they were dealing with as young men that the writings of the age speak to. And for that, I recommend the books Iron John by Robert Bly, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And if you really want to go deep, you can get King Warrior, Magician Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. And the third thing is, don't necessarily assume that you have permission to speak into your father's life. Wait for him to ask. Wait for him to let you know that he's in pain. Let him see you thriving. Let him see you succeeding in the ways that he wanted to. And wait for him to ask for wisdom from you and provide it lovingly and gratefully in a way that honors him. And in that way, this is how the generations communicate between each other. One of the big divides that's happening right now is the severing of the elders from the larger community of men. And a lot of this comes down to hatred for boomers that's being passed through society. Now, look, we need elders as men, period, non-negotiable. And by cutting off elders from society for whatever bitterness or resentment we may have, even if it's legitimate, cuts us off from wisdom of the previous generations and leads to an overvaluing of youth. And you can see this everywhere. We are obsessed with youth. We are obsessed with youth because no one is able to paint for us the picture of wisdom because we don't respect our boomer elders. That's just how it is. That needs to be fixed. And so part of that involves you, listener, coming to recognize the value that your fathers and grandfathers provided for you, that they answered the set of questions the best way they knew how at the time, and they haven't yet realized that they need a new set of answers for a new day. The best thing that you can do is find your own answers, live those out as hard as you can, thrive, be prosperous, be happy, find alignment with your own values, and wait for them to ask. And then you can pass along your wisdom and be open to the wisdom that they have to pass on to you as well. And then seal that chain. Bring the elders back into the fold. Introduce them to you, to your life, your kids, and your values. And that is how we complete the circle as men, from infant to toddler to elder. As you can probably tell, I'm very passionate about this. I've given a lot of thought to the life cycle of what it means to be a man. And I've recognized that we have a real lack of elders. And so it's very important that if we want to continue and expand the dialogue about masculinity, we have to reach out to our elders. We have to be willing to pass along our wisdom in an honoring way and receive their wisdom in an honoring way as well. And then we can unite the generations and truly begin moving forward as men. I hope that answers or even over answers the question of how we approach the problems of masculinity for older generations. And if you're a man and you have a question that you want to ask me, you can join my men's group, The Council, and become a member and submit questions to me for me to answer in this podcast. Go to renofmen.com council to learn more. And until then, thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.